managing your career with intention rather than just letting life happen to you is what it's all about. You're precious. You're an individual. There is no one in this earth who is a duplicate of you. Your skills are unique. So do you, because that's what the world needs. Are you a health professional wanting to explore all the options life has to offer? Then you've come to the right place. The Balance Medics Handover podcast is all about living outside the box of what we've been told. I'm Isabella, your host, a junior doctor from Australia and trained coach. I'll be interviewing health professionals from all walks of life, artists, authors, non-clinical specialists, and more. These stories show that our choices are endless. Let's take the journey together. This is The Handover. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Balanced Medics Handover podcast. Today, we have an interesting episode about lifestyle medicine. Dr. Kelly Garnier is our great guest with the unique story of how she got into medicine, from business banker to dual fellowship in RACGP and lifestyle medicine. I'm really looking forward to learning more about her journey. Let's hand over to Kelly. Hey, how are you? Hi, Isabella. Thank you for having me today. Um, I'm really excited to be with you. Oh, I'm so excited for you to be here and to hear more about how you got to where you are now. So could you share more about that, please? Yeah, of course. Sometimes I say I took the long road to medicine. (laughs) Uh, You know, I grew up in Africa and South Africa, always wanting to become a doctor and for various reasons, didn't actually get accepted into my university of choice in South Africa. And at the time, the university I was accepted into would have led to what I believed then to have been, you know, a little bit too dangerous due to the nature of this, the, the country at the time and the crime and the upheaval. So I actually gave up my place and then went down to the wine region where I did a, a um, science degree. So the time was not wasted there. I should have actually done a degree in wine, but I loved my time in Stellenbosch. <laughs> and then not long before finishing that, I was offered the opportunity to come over to Australia. And fortunately, I had an Aussie passport given my mum is Australian. Um, And so I found myself in Tasmania and again, 21, still probably inside dying to do medicine, but didn't seem to have the wherewithal to confine that to anybody else and just trying to find my way in a new country and literally survive as a new immigrant with, you know, very little money and two suitcases. I ended up studying an MBA because my then partner was dead keen on getting into investment banking. And it seemed, especially back then, I'm showing my age now, but especially back then, an MBA seemed to be the ticket to financial freedom and certainly a a viable job. So we ended up doing an MBA, finished that, and I worked initially in the financial services industry before I was offered quite a lucrative position on a business banking training scheme and commenced that and then landed up in the world of business banking. So it wasn't a very intentional career path at all. I just seemed to fall into one thing, into the next, into the next. And, you know, the early years of my 20s were spent earning good money, but working incredibly hard. Um, But I guess that little quiet voice inside was persistently just scratching, scratching away, letting me know that, you know, there was something deeper that I was clearly longing for. Long story short, ended up getting married to a French chef 
who was burnt out. And he had this real intolerance for boredom. <laughs> and he was quite determined. He lived life very determinedly. And he was quite determined to change his career. So I supported him through a career change. And at one point, grew really resentful that here I was financing and supporting somebody else through their own career change. And I recognized within myself that that resentment was coming from a place of knowing that I wasn't doing the same for myself. So eventually, I woke up to myself and said to him, hey, I want to study medicine. And he could have turned around and said, you must be joking. You know, we've just got me sorted. We're not doing this again for you. But he never did that. He just said, you go for it. That sounds fantastic. And by then, I'd probably lived in Australia for about probably eight, nine years or something. And he was the first person I'd ever told that I really wanted to do medicine. And so I had a bit of a chat to my boss um, at the bank, and he was incredibly supportive, which I thought was really generous of him. And I sat down and ordered my GAMSAT preparation materials, took three months to prepare for the GAMSAT while I was working full time, wrote the GAMSAT, and then lo and behold, got into the University of um, at Deakin, Deakin Uni in Geelong. We moved our lives across from Melbourne across to Geelong. And um, I eventually became a 37-year-old intern on the wards in Geelong. <laughs> so I guess that's that in a nutshell is, is me. Um, and since then, like so many others, I've been confronted by the, you know, opportunities and challenges and stressors of junior doctor life, as well as which career path and which spe uh, specialty training um, I undertake. I eventually settled on general practice because I was mindful of my age and I don't think I was committed enough to either physician training or surgery training to make the sacrifices that those career paths warranted. And I wanted autonomy. I wanted the capacity to set my own direction, my own hours. And so general practice was a really good fit for me. And then when I went through that journey of my specialty training in general practice, you know, life life uh, never lets us just rest on our laurels. There's, there is always a curveball here and there. And so with several curveballs through my specialty training, I eventually started listening again to that inner voice and the yearnings and made tweaks as I went along. So here I am back in Melbourne and very proud of, of everything I've achieved today. And indeed, I think the most thing that I'm proud of is how self-directed I have been. It takes me a while to listen to that voice. But when I do, I generally start to bring myself back into balance. Wow. What, what a story of transformation, right? A lot of transformations and helping other people transform too. So like your partner from Schefter, what, what did they end up doing, by the way? <laughs> he ended up becoming a myotherapist. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and also that, that little voice that you can kind of try mm. to ignore, but then after a while, it's like it starts hitting you yeah. over the head saying, okay, you, you got to listen now. Right. Exactly. I think you do so at your peril. Yeah. And and I often say to patients and clients, you know, life will sometimes send a ripple. And if you don't listen to the ripple, it becomes a wave. You don't listen to the wave, it becomes a tsunami. Yes. So it really is your choice. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I think a lot of the listeners can maybe uh, relate to that 
the, the tsunami. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, if you you know, sometimes it's a case of if you don't self-care and take a rest, your body will make a rest for you. Yes. You know, it's it's one of those. So it can manifest in so many ways, that tsunami. Um, but eventually we have to stand up and take notice. Oh yeah. And when you were studying medicine and you decide you were doing it, you were already in, did you know how the junior doctor years would be and how the specialty trainings worked? Or did you just think I'm going to be a doctor on the other side? Yeah, look, I don't think, you know, you still remember that that those first few months and years, you sort of look at each other and think, I wonder where so and so will land up. I wonder where I will land up. And as often occurs as you go through those training years, sometimes you can get quite distracted by sort of shiny things, shiny things, and fairly charismatic mentors. Yes. <laughs> and one of the best bits of advice I was always given is make sure you choose a specialty where you enjoy whatever is the run of the mill activity or presentation that you're going to see a lot of in that specialty because it's not always going to be the sexy stuff. So provided you you enjoy the the sort of mainstream stuff that you do a lot of in that specialty, you should be right. But if you're always hanging out for that 5% or the 2%, I think you're you're setting yourself up for quite a difficult journey. Now general practice then is quite unique because general practice just throws anything up and every single day can be so varied and so challenging for different reasons. So it it really, I think it, it provides something for everyone. And increasingly, we are seeing people subspecialize. So if you do have a real passion for a certain area, general practice has got you covered. Now, there are many downsides to general practice. There are many challenges. But I still believe, certainly in my own case, it gives me that autonomy and that capacity to be self-directed and indeed work part-time, which ticks my boxes, mm. you know. So I think we've all, we've got to really listen to what we want for ourselves. And, you know, I, often when I deal with patients and clients, I speak about being aware of one's inner values. And your values don't need to be justified to anyone else. They are your values. And something like general practice, I think, is, is quite good to the extent that it caters for all shapes and sizes. And you don't just have a fellowship in, in GP and RICGP. You're also a fellow of lifestyle medicine. Yeah, yeah. Do you mind explaining to the listener what lifestyle medicine is? Yeah, of course. So it's a relatively new discipline in Australia. Um, and we, we're following on from the States where it's probably been recognized as a specialty for in excess of 20 years. And essentially, it's using lifestyle predominantly to treat, manage and reverse chronic disease. And so if you think of the typical Western diet, and also on a population health level, we've moved away globally from the more acute infectious disease as being the, the biggest problem to more of a subacute chronic disease picture afflicting a greater and greater proportion of the population 
not only because of our lifestyle, but because we're living longer. Then on top of that, you add things like mental health. And of course, that just gets all the bigger. So lifestyle is what got us there. And lifestyle is how we need to get ourselves out of there or at least manage the sort of the, the burden of disease that we've got. Now, needless to say, for those of us who are general practitioners or doctors and have already trained in medical training and can prescribe, it's not as though we sit there and go, that's it, I'm not prescribing medicine, I'm only prescribing lifestyle. The beauty of obviously having medical training is that you absolutely do use the pen from time to time and prescribe medicine appropriately. But the difference I feel is that I have a lot more confidence and a lot more education around the pillars of lifestyle medicine. And typically they are avoiding risky substance use, good sleep patterns, um, good mental health. And with that, I mean, you know, meditation, mindfulness, the role of positive psychology. Also very important is that sense of connectedness, sense of purpose, sense of community, which is so good for us. Then it would be nutrition. And I think I'm not alone in saying that we don't do enough on nutrition in our primary medical education. So since becoming a GP, I have not only embarked on my lifestyle medicine fellowship, which had a heck of a lot of nutrition studies in it, but I've also then done a course with the University of Winchester in plant-based nutrition. Now, the lifestyle medicine philosophy lends itself towards a plant-based nutrition um, diet. Having said that, I am not prescriptive in diet. I also recognize my own scope of practice, but certainly nutrition underpins lifestyle medicine, as well as then exercise. Now there again, you know, we, um, I think sometimes as busy GPs and busy doctors, we do mention exercise. The difference now for me is being really um, using it more prescriptively based on the pathology that's in front of me. And there's a whole different degree of confidence and awareness around exercise, you know, the different forms of exercise, where they might be applied. And indeed, in my own life, I'm probably exercising now in my mid-40s more than I was in my mid-30s because there's a greater appreciation of the benefits of exercise. That's so good. It's such a holistic view mm. of it. And instead of, I guess, focusing on that tertiary prevention, um, it's almost a public health perspective, the yeah. the primary prevention life. Like if we all have healthy lifestyles, the amount of disease would just drop dramatically probably. Absolutely. Sometimes I sort of say, you know, lifestyle medicine for me is general practice on steroids. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's there's a place for lifestyle medicine in virtually every consult I have. And I think if you gave GPs a blank check for time, I'm sure every GP would recognize the importance of the coaching aspect. And you know, the way I see it is really meeting people where they are at in their lives. So part of that is really getting behind their story. So let's not forget in the background to lifestyle and what I put in my mouth, et cetera, et cetera. This is all informed by my socioeconomic status, my cultural background, um, 
and where things are at in my home life, my background of trauma. So you know, it really is a very, very individualized approach to medicine. It takes time. And to do it well, I think you've got to, you know, you've got to sort of believe there's no such thing as a non-compliant patient. It's about meeting the patient where they're at. That's a beautiful way to put it, changing that language. I think I drew myself there, to be honest. It was that little voice again. You know, I remember being a fairly new fellow and you, you know, you, you, I guess deep inside we always have this, eventually it dawns on us that our reality doesn't meet our expectation. And it's one of those classic situations in life where you either accept it or you try and change what you can. And for me, working in general practice, my philosophy is a holistic philosophy. And yet the time constraints, I was then at what was a bulk billing practice to become, which would have become eventually after four years became quite private, but at the time was bulk billing. And I was feeling a yearning for more time, practicing slower medicine, being more comprehensive, a stronger focus on mental health, and being able to get behind the story. You know, somebody comes in with blood pressure. It's, it's getting to the point of why. You know, how did we get here? Now, I'm not saying that that can't be done. You know, there are GPs all across Australia that are getting behind the story every day and they're incredibly skilled. But for me, I think I needed more. I felt a little bit different. I wanted to, um, to have more holistic training. I needed to improve my confidence, particularly around nutrition and exercise prescription. And I probably recognized in my own life you know, by then I'd been a junior doctor for many years, an older junior doctor, just through fellowship exams. You know, my own life has its own story. And there were stressors in my life. And I sort of recognized that I was not where I wanted to be with my own health. And I remember learning a little bit about lifestyle medicine. But do you know, a healthy dose of imposter syndrome led me to think, oh, no, you know, who am I? Who am I to now go and start a second fellowship? And who am I to, to do this? So that took about four years before landing in the pandemic in Melbourne and having some time up my sleeve and just thinking, you know what, it's now or never. And I made a phone call to Aslam and spoke with the then medical educator, Jordana, who said to me, you know, Kelly, I hear the story so often. And for many people, when they find lifestyle medicine, they feel like they found their tribe. And that's what happened. It felt for me like I'd found my tribe. And quite frankly, I've never looked back. And when you attend the lifestyle medicine conferences, you are just so buoyed by people from all different walks of life because it's one of the truly multidisciplinary fellowships. So you'll bump into psychologists. You'll sit there with an anesthetist. You'll sit there with, you know, it could be a podiatrist, whatever. And we're all committed to be on this journey, which is treating patients from an evidence base, but meeting them predominantly with, with their lifestyle and how tweaks with their lifestyle can lead to better health outcomes. That's so beautiful that you found your tribe and that you've never looked back. It's, yeah, <laughs> I want to join now. <laughs> and that leads me on to what I wanted to ask you next. 
tell us more about this college. Um, you know, what is this college? Who can apply? Sure, sure. So I guess, first of all, they've got a fantastic website. Um, they cater to New Zealand as well as Australia. So if you just Google the Australian um, Society of Lifestyle Medicine, and they have a framework for if you want to become a fellow, they have a framework for peer recognition. So compared to a number of our other more traditional pathways, I will say there does seem to be a heck of a lot more flexibility to meet you where you are at in terms of your own pathway and how your own training to date or experience fits into their fellowship recognition pathway. And they will then individually assess each of those applications and then point out to you where your shortfall lies. Like so many other fellowship pathways, we do have an exam and we call that process the Foundations of Lifestyle Medicine. So you do a course, which is a fantastic um, and very enriching course, which obviously covers off on all the basics, you know, those pillars that I was talking about. And then you sit an exam as part of that process. So that would earn you a significant amount of your fellowship points or your RPL. Um, the rest is then met by either your experience or they would point you in the direction of where they felt your CV, as it were, is lacking relative to the lifestyle medicine core competencies. So that might be diet and nutrition, that might be physical activity and related sciences, that might be, as you point out, more of a public health domain and a preventative health domain. Um, or, you know, could be even pathophysiology of disease, it could be behavioral change, et cetera, et cetera. So depending on where folk have come from, some have got a clinical background, some have got a public health background, some have been educators, some are researchers. People are coming at the specialty from very, very different direct, um, directions and they're all valued and then they all get assessed on a case-by-case -case basis. Wow, so it's really individualized. There's no mm. one size fits all. And in terms of who can apply, is there any, like, do you need to have um, APRA registration or what, how does that work? Yeah, so obviously a number of folk are APRA registered, but there are other avenues of work where, for example, some of our specialties don't need to be, not medical specialties, I should say, some of our allied health um, workers in Australia may not be APRA registered. Um, so it, it's not a, um, a, as far as I'm aware, it's not a um, prerequisite. Typically they say GPs, medical specialists, APRA registered practitioners or other degree or master's qualified health professionals in lifestyle medicine related fields. So um, potentially could an intern, let's say someone who's finished internship and residency or a medical student that is not sure what they want to do, could they apply and focus solely in this fellowship? I imagine that they could. They do ask for three years of experience. So if you think of your internship, then your residency, you'd probably need another year as well. You'd also need to be a full member of ASLAM, um, which is easy, you know, easy to achieve. I think in terms of then 
adopting lifestyle medicine as your sole specialty, you, you've really got to think about how am I going to earn an income? Because at the moment, culturally in Australia, you know, Medicare is the backbone of a lot of health, the provision of healthcare services. And I achieve my capacity to utilize the Medicare system as a privilege of my fellowship of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. And so for argument's sake, if you are a house doctor or a medical officer who's not on any other um, specialty training program or, or indeed not a fellow, what sort of services would you be offering the community? So it may be, and look, I'm happy to take any guidance on this, but it may be that somebody sets up shop as a doctor and then has a fellowship in lifestyle medicine. But I would argue that my education as a general practitioner and the pathophysiology of primary care and community and family medicine which was fine-tuned by that specialty training, you would be practicing without the bulk of that knowledge. Mm. And believe me, it is very different seeing people in the community than seeing people as a junior doctor on a ward. Chalk and cheese. And so would I say that would be a desirable way to work? It may be possible, but I'm not sure that you would have that holistic background that would see you then um, manage chronic disease as well as you could without a fundamental education in the pathophysiology of chronic disease. Right, I see. So if you if you were going in the lens of as a doctor, you would recommend having another some uh, experience in community medicine. Personally, I would. That's very different from say the psychologist who's been practicing for three years, loves psychology, but would like to bolt on a lifestyle medicine fellowship. Then they, they're, they're able to offer more value to their clientele and they're doing something different, but they're practicing as a psychologist with a fellowship in lifestyle medicine. So in Australia, we still do have those three main streams, albeit surgery, um, physician training, general practice, as well as, of course, you know, radiology, anesthetics, et cetera, et cetera. But I think if I can just share my own experience, I don't think I would have as much comprehensive knowledge of primary care as a doctor without my general practice training. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. You know, the general practice fellowship is another flexible, very flexible training program which gives you a lot of autonomy and is a heck of a lot easier to work part-time than many of the other specialty training programs. So it depends on, you know, where you're at. Um, every circumstance is different, but I can only speak for myself and I don't think I would be where I am now without my general practice mm -hmm. training. Well, thank you for sharing um, your side of it and how you how you have been training in this program. How long is the training process? Completely depends on you. So I do know one or two colleagues who have handed in an RPL application and basically managed to demonstrate full recognition of prior learning. So aside from doing that exam and that Foundations of Lifestyle Medicine course, 
They've managed then to demonstrate their experience, their other courses done to date. They've demonstrated the requisite competency in a minimum of, I think they ask for at least four other domains, which is not easy to achieve. I myself sat the exam. So that was probably about six months of study towards the exam and doing the course and whatnot. And then I spent approximately about another two years investing in myself in training and courses um, to demonstrate competency in the other domains. And one of the domains, for example, with myself that was identified as an area of, of lack where I didn't meet the full um, domain was nutrition. Hence why I then did an additional course, which was done over about eight weeks, 11 hours a week with the University of Winchester, which was fantastic. So everything that I did to bolt on and improve my chances of achieving those points only added to my practice. Okay, so it depends on on your prior experience and what you need to learn. It does. There's no um, set time frame, really. Not at all. Everybody is different. And they will look at things like your own efforts at public health. So you might have a website. You might write blogs educating the population about mental health. You might do other research work. It, it completely depends on the individual. And who would be suited to lifestyle medicine? Oh, I would argue there's, there's scope for it in, in every clinical encounter. So every sort of specialty, um, that, you know, I think it would be entirely appropriate for anyone to, to train further in lifestyle medicine. But I think it's also self-motivated healthcare practitioners who are passionate or committed to the principles of lifestyle medicine and their work. And there's a part of me saying, you know who you are, you know. Um, and I think also those of us who care about our world and finding more environmentally and economically sustainable solutions to the burden of chronic disease. Yeah, it's so needed. It's so needed. And now we're nearing the end of the podcast. I could keep chatting, um, but I have, I have a final few questions to ask. Sure. Uh, I ask this of everyone. What is balance to you? Oh, wow. I probably said changes. Balance is never static to me. It changes depending on my work demands. It changes depending on my personal life and my circumstances. But I think balance probably means that there is there is enough left in the tank for me after the world has taken its bit. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes the world is my family. Sometimes it's my friends. Sometimes it's my small business. Sometimes it's my general practice. But if there's enough at the end of the tank for me, at the end of the day in the tank for me, then I think um, that's a good day. Yeah, <laughs> that's a nice way to look at it. Now, is there anything else you'd like to add that you think would benefit the listeners? Yeah, look, you know, I see so many healthcare workers in my job. And one of the privileges of being a healthcare worker or a GP, more specifically, is that you see how human we all are. And in my own little way, if I can just encourage people to come forward 
and not to think they're different or abnormal or pathetic because they don't feel they've got it all figured out. None of us have got it all figured out. So anyone who pretends to have it all figured out or tells you they do is telling you porky pies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so just take the pressure off because none of us have got it all figured out. And all we can hope for is little by little to actually be in the driver's seat and be intentional with crafting our lives. That's one of the things, Isabella, we were talking earlier about your own background. And what I said to you was that I'm impressed by your capacity, even as a junior doctor, to be crafting your own way. And I think managing your career with intention rather than just letting life happen to you is what it's all about. You're precious. You're an individual. There is no one in this earth who is a duplicate of you. Your skills are unique. So do you, because that's what the world needs. And so whether that be lifestyle medicine, whether that be staying at home and looking after your babies, whether that be following your dream and, you know, joining Médecins Sans Frontières, whatever that is, you just do you. Wow, that's such a powerful message and I'm so glad it's recorded because we can rewind it and re-listen. It's so good um, and you're, you're so right. Just from even the podcast itself and hearing everyone's stories, so many people have that same thing of I wanted this and I thought I was weird and that, you know, what was wrong with me and why don't I know what I'm doing? But it's just like we're all humans that's right. living this experience and no one really knows what's going on and that's okay. <laughs> exactly. Just go with the flow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which can be difficult <laughs> if you're a medical person. <laughs> it certainly can, you know, but we're the strongest um, you know, people to sit on our own shoulders. It's it's very often the case that we'll be harder on ourselves than anyone else will be. Um, and so I, I see a heck of a lot of burnout. And one of my own personal passions around the subject of burnout is to really try and emphasize that there really is two sides to the story. There's the structural systemic stuff, which we know goes on, and we know a lot of that is out of our control, although there's some very brave and progressive people on the front line trying to change culture all the time. But then we've also got to look to ourselves and how we contribute in our own behavioral patterns and thinking patterns, how we contribute to our own burnout. And that's where I find, again, meeting people where they're at in the context of their own lives and getting behind the presentation, getting to the story is so, so important um, because we just need to get out of our own way sometimes. Yeah. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing, Kelly, because it's so important and and really needed. <laughs> My absolute pleasure. And thank you too for doing this. I'm sure it's an incredible resource for your community. And thank you for having me. Well, yeah. And before you go, before you go, um, how can people find out more about lifestyle medicine and what would the next steps be for them? Sure. Absolutely. So the first port of call is obviously their website. And under the website, which is lifestylemedicine.org.au, there is also a fellowship tab. 
So don't hesitate to go there. And they've even got a fabulous booklet, which is like their pathway or their fellowship framework. Really, really good, easy to use and to kind of see where you would fit in the flowchart. And of course, you know, they would have no problem if you were to ring and speak to somebody at the Australian Society of Lifestyle Medicine and just um, ask them or demonstrate your interest. By all means, if you ever want to have a chat to me, look me up. That's no problem. I'm at the Village GP Black Rock or I run my own business called Redefining Health. Um, and I'm, in fact, going to have a webinar probably in about six weeks now, a free webinar called um, Lifestyle Medicine, What's the Fuss? Explaining a little bit more about lifestyle medicine from a population point of view, its benefits and indeed my own approach to lifestyle medicine. So you're welcome to keep an eye out for that. Uh, but the lifestyle, the ASLAM is probably your best go-to if you're thinking about embarking on a career in lifestyle medicine. Okay, great. I'll put all of that in the show notes and that webinar sounds great. So um, hopefully we can get this out right before the webinar and people can, can look out for it. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thanks, Isabella. You've been listening to the Balance Medics Handover podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, I'd love for you to take a minute to rate and review this podcast and click the follow button. For more resources, check out the Balance Medics website. The link to this will be in the show notes below. See you next episode.